0: 19, where it says, the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of them, withdrew behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front of them and stood behind them. The idea of the cloud is God's presence. So we have cloud and we have fire. That was in the days of the Exodus. says he has, holding this little scroll which lay open in his hand, he planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Can you imagine the size of this figure? We're not talking something that maybe would have been 100 foot or 200 foot tall. If there is such a creature that would, or this, this angel that could stand one foot on the sea, one foot on land, and he's standing on the sea as if it's ground. Let me tell you the enormity of what John saw, something that was miles high. Mm-hmm. Miles high. And this was just a representative of God. This mighty angel. We don't know if he was an archangel or not. The Bible does talk about the order. Well, it talks a little bit about orders of angels. Michael in Jude, chapter, uh, Jude verse 9 is an archangel. Daniel mm-hmm. happened to of a uh, chief of the princes referred to the angels in chapter 10, verse 13. We don't know about this. This was just another mighty angel. There was another one in chapter 5, verse 2. Another mighty angel. So we have God using angels in this regard. But this is a big, fearsome character right here. And when he has this. Shout like the roar of a lion. You know, I've never been in been in the jungle where there was a lion ro- roaring, um, but I can imagine the fright. You know, there, there's probably a reason why they call the lion the king of the jungle because it's scary. And let me tell you, when this miles high angel shouted, I can imagine what John saw, and he shouted. And I don't know what he said right there. Maybe he was doing it like what you have over um, in England where you have the people blowing the trumpets and they say, hear ye, hear ye, like that. But this angel shouted like the roar of the Lion. He's there to get your attention. You better listen to what he has to say. And that's what you're. and that's when you're really thankful that six inches of plastic glass between you and that line, too. Uh, it would be terrifying. This was not meant to be a, a, an interesting or a cute sight. It was there to make you aware of um, there's, so much, there's someone who's so much bigger random than you, and he has something to say. So he speaks, he shouts, possibly just saying, hear you. And then something else happened. Another voice came out. It says, um, and when this, okay, and then it says that when he shouted, the voices of seven thunders spoke. When the thim, uh, seven thunders spoke, I was about to write it. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal it up what the seven thunders have said. And don't write it down. Seven, of course, is number. Probably this was the angel speaking. This was another voice. It says, "Voices, the seven thunders," possibly referring to God Himself speaking here. But remember, John was given the commission in chapter one, verse nineteen, that he was supposed to write down the things that he heard and what he saw. So John was about to do that right here, but he was told, "Don't write it down." I believe it was a message for, for John, but in I think in a larger <coughs> context, I would I would tend to think it probably was a more warnings for Rome. I actually I, I that that's why I think it was because thunder in scripture many times it refers to divine. Well, it's like judgment's What's going to happen? So when we read even the book of Revelation at least three different times that there were uh, thunders and peals. And peels lightning and of thunder like that. It's the idea of these messages coming out. But there was a reason why the voice from heaven came and said, don't write it down. And that's when the angel speaks. Good question, though. to hide or to prevent from seeing. When you remove a seal it needs to reveal. And so that's what he's doing. And in the trumpets it was revealing these judgments on these people. But the problem was verse 20 and 21 again of Revelation 9. They refused to repent. It was to get them them to repent. So yeah, that was the purpose behind it. But that brings us to another interesting point that we're not probably going to be able to get into as much today as I would I'd like to and that is uh, does God have a limit I wonder sometimes because when he, a limit meaning there's going to be a, there, there are times when, when God says I've had enough I've had enough you have gone so, so far we do know that happened in the days of Israel he spoke about that in the <clears throat> book of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy, and this wasn't even a part of what I was going to say, but that, that's is relevant to it. He says, you know, if you obey me and you do what you're supposed to do, I'll bless you here, I'll bless you, I'll bless you everywhere. But if you don't, you're going to be punished. And it goes on about the different punishments. But then the final punishment would be, but if you fail to listen and you refuse and you rebel against me, there's one last thing I'm going to do. I'm going to scatter you. It's called the Diaspora, and that's exactly what God did. He did it mainly two times to Israel. 721, when the Assyrians came and they annihilated the northern kingdom. The second time, through Nebuchadnezzar. And the people were scattered throughout the world because of that. Because of their, I would argue, their hardness of heart. And that's just what these people, these, now, now those were God's people there. These people, now that he's really dealing with here, Revelation were not dealing with Christians, it was dealing with Rome. But but I will say this, when you mess with God's people, you mess with the Father. There's only so much that a Father's going to take before he's going to take action. And Rome was not going to be victorious over his people. And he wanted them to know, we're going to be You're going to go through a lot of garbage. You're going to suffer. And there were a lot of Christians who suffered greatly, lost their lives. But Rome was going to pay. And God was assuring John. And John was assuring the people of the first century. There comes a day when he is going to act. And these trumpets were warnings for that. They refused to repent. And so now it brings us up to 10, verse 6, of what the angel says. Why that voice came from heaven said, don't write it down, because I mean, the writing it down would be um, for warnings. But it goes on to say Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his head, his hand toward heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and that is in them, the earth that's in them, and the sea that's in them. So we have this massive angel. He raises. his shown actually in the Old Testament Abraham did it in chapter 14 of Genesis other people do it when they raise your hand preachers do this today it's like all heaven is seeing me God is seeing me of this and I tell you right now this is what's going to happen so this is what the angel says when he raises his hand as as though he's taking an oath there will be no more delay. Christians needed to be aware that God hadn't forgotten their suffering. He doesn't forget your suffering either. Sometimes it may appear like they, it's been a long time that you've been going through something. A long time. There will come a time when God will say, even in your life, no more delay. So he's letting them know they have their chance. They're going to pay. And so God starts to dismantle Rome, and He does that. He does that very thing. It wasn't overnight. God, God can do it overnight if He wants to. But God began the process of this, and so He started to judge uh, Rome, trying to get them to change their ways and to repent. And they were blessed So God's going to continue. This. And later on, God going to. he says, uh, "Then the voice I heard from the heavens spoke one more, one more. Go and take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. You know, when I read that, I thought, boy, that's a rather that's a rather bold thing for that voice to say. Go up to that 50 mile tall giant angel over there and get that scroll in his hand. Yeah, like, like I'm going to do that. You know, sometimes God is going to ask us to do things that we think, you know, that just doesn't make much sense. It just doesn't make much sense. You know, I'm reminded in the, uh, in the uh, series called The Chosen, um, Jesus' first public miracle. If you haven't seen it, I urge you to see it. First public miracle, where Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, so Jesus goes in there and Thomas is in there. Thomas was the uh, was the uh, guy with bringing the wine and stuff like that. And then uh, so Jesus goes in there. Thomas is wondering what's going on. Then, so Jesus walks in there and uh, he says, uh, fill these jars with water. And Thomas looks at him and says, um, I thought you were here to, uh, you know, uh, I thought you were supposed to have a solution toward us. And he says, what you're saying doesn't make any sense fill these things with water. And his response was, it's going to be like that sometimes. Hmm. And I believe that that is so true. Some things don't make much sense to us. And I think this one here in chapter 10, verse 8, doesn't make a lot of sense. and It probably didn't to John. He's told by the voice, go and get that scroll that was opened in the hand of the angel. Yes. Well, as he's saying, little book. Yeah. Yeah, that was really a little book, wasn't it? Yeah. Especially because of what he's gonna have to have to do. Well, that's to be very thankful. Well, it was a little a little scroll. <laughs> because that scroll was open, and this is what he says to do. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the scroll. There, 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 there you go. And he said to me, Take it and nations, languages, and kings. Now, that is also heavily rooted in the Old Testament, so let's go over to where that is found. Ezekiel chapter 2. Turn your Bibles over to Ezekiel chapter 2, because there was a reason why he's supposed to eat the scroll. So I'll begin in chapter 2. This is when Ezekiel is being called to be a prophet. God says, I'm sending you, in verse 3, I'm sending you And he said to me, Son man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll, so then, and then go and speak to my people. So I opened my mouth. are several concepts in mind when someone would eat a scroll. One would be mastery of the subject, mastery of the contents. This is a message of God to the people. He wanted him to digest it. It wasn't supposed to be just something flippantly done. It was supposed to become part of him. Receiving it was going to be sweet. It was going to be wonderful. Even the the Psalms, Psalm 119-103 talks about um, by God's precepts, they're as sweet as honey. A beautiful thing. But once it's been digested, he also had a responsibility to share and to bring that information to other people. And that's why it was sour, or some versions say, bitter. It wasn't going to be a pleasant thing to say. And sometimes, even in our lives as well, there are things that we need to say to people whom we love. So it's very difficult. In Ezekiel's day, 600 years before this, no, almost 700 years before this, he had to speak to a people that rebelled against God. They were so hardened in their hearts. And so a number of times in that text, he says, you tell it to them. And even if they don't want to listen to you, tell it to them anyway. They need to know there was a prophet in their midst. They need to know that. said in James chapter 3 verse 1 not many of you should become teachers my fellow believers because you know that Share this news, bad news, and a lot of it would be for his own for his own people, Christians. He's probably gonna let them know it's gonna get worse before it gets better. Not a very pleasant message to hear. You are gonna suffer because they were. That's a better pill to swallow. You're gonna suffer. that's what chapter eleven. He about. so we haven't gotten there yet. But that was, I believe, the message of that, of, of that scroll. There, um, you know, you know, talking about taking their, their job serious. You know, there are some people who take it a little bit too too serious. You know, I'm reminding you of the uh, preacher who was who was a gifted guy and he. One particular day, boy, he just let out of it. What a, what a sermon. it was just magnificent, he was really feeling good about himself. And over lunch that afternoon, he was kind of sitting back, reclining us, sipping his sweet tea. And he said to his wife, You know, honey, how many really great preachers do you think there are in the Brotherhood? And she looked at him square in the eye and said, One less than you think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sometimes we can just uh, uh, take ourselves a little bit too serious. Um, But but we do need to take it serious about what God has called us to do and what he has called us to be. John's letting the Christians of the first century know it isn't always going to be a bed of roses. He probably also remembered what Paul said, When Paul says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? There's a bitter pill to take. And he's letting the Christians know it. But at the end, it's victory. This short time we have on earth is not the end. Actually, black graduation is just the beginning. But we need to endure through this. And as Jesus said even earlier in the book, those who remain faithful until death, whether that be willful, (laughs) Passing away. But be faithful. That's what God calls us to be. And I believe that uh, Patterson was right when he talks about the idea of, of a, uh, it isn't the quantity, but rather the quality of one's faith. You know, I mentioned just, just a few weeks ago that, you know, it isn't it isn't the size of your faith, but it's, it's the quality that God expresses. And I do believe the mustard seed represents the size of Although a mustard seed is it, not much bigger than a grain of sand, according to Jesus, that alone is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say it, it's quite in God's hands. God doesn't need much except for a person with a willing heart, a willing spirit who will surrender themselves to Him. Any observation or comments? We've just got a few minutes left. Charlie got something. standing back, and you see it. I believe that goes on from the time of the uh, the four horses in in, in chapter uh, uh, six. There, I believe because that was in a pantomime. That means that there was no speech. I believe people were just supposed to recognize certain things and understand what the images stood for. I believe what we're just seeing is a pageant in front of of what's going on, so the people are seeing it unfold. There are some happy scenes and there are some very unhappy scenes. But they are need to be reminded, and we need to be reminded. That in the end, we're always going to be victorious. Our God's going to take care of you. Amen. God will mark you. When he says this protect you, that doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt. But you're marked. You're saved. Surrender their lives to him. And that's what it's about. And uh, the next week we'll look more at the victory side. It's going to look like the enemy wins. Mm-hmm. Temporarily. But they don't win. Because don't forget the crucifixion. Satan thought he won when Jesus was crucified. He thought he won. God is so much better, so much smarter, so much wiser, Yes, absolutely in control, Yes, and we don't need to question that, what we need to do is believe it, Amen. any other thoughts or, like that, all right, let's have a, a brief prayer, then we'll go on, Father, we're so grateful for your servant, John, there's so nothing.